Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we welcome you this morning. Thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, may our hearts be good soil. And when you bring us your word this morning, may it take root. Let it not be choked up by the worries and cares of this world and what Jesus calls the deceitfulness of wealth. Let it not be stolen away or scorched by the sun. Lord, we surrender and submit this time together back to you. We ask that you do what only you can do this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah. I'm a, I'm a lay member of this church. And if you don't know what that means, it's just C of E speak um, to say that I'm not clergy and I'm not staff. Um, so I'm, I'm an ordinary member of the congregation. Um, before I get to my talk, I've just got a few words, if that's all right, Tim. It felt like God was speaking to me in, um, in the worship. Um, I first want to just encourage Ellie. Um, thank you so much for leading us in worship this morning. And I just got this sense when we were praying at the beginning earlier and then God kept speaking to me in the worship that um, basically God wants to say that he's really, really pleased with you and um, your private worship, your intimate time with him, he's really pleased with that and he wants to bless you more in that area. And um, my encouragement to you is that as you lead us and as you grow in your ministry as a worship leader, that that's all going to come with overflow. And the most important thing in your whole life is just being like Martha and sitting at the feet of Jesus, wasting time with him, and that he's so pleased with you for already doing that. So just want to bless you on that front. Um, and then another word that I have, which I can't really get away from, and I, it's not a very nice one. Um, I just got this sense that there's somebody here this morning who's come in and you're really struggling with debt, um, like a lot of debt, and on the outside everything looks fine, and on the inside you're just like falling apart, and it's really um, eating you up inside, and things are not okay. Um, so I just want to encourage you that... Um, we're going to be talking about giving today. Please don't get into more debt to give to this church. Um, please, please, please um, seek help. Come forward for prayer. And also, if you want to speak to the clergy or myself or anyone on team, um, we'd love to direct you to CAP, who provide free debt counselling services. They have provided more than 10,000, I think, people um, in just the south of England alone to get, uh, help them to get free of debt. So, um, I just want to encourage you with that. God really cares about that. He sees that um, you're not alone and there is help available. So um, receive that, be blessed by that. Um, but I'm delighted to be here uh, this morning to speak with you and to be kicking off our new sermon series. As Tim mentioned, it's called Living for Jesus. Um, it's going to be a little bit more practical than the one before. Um, we were looking at uh, some... Some of the things that Jesus said that we wished he hadn't, called controversial Jesus, but those are more kind of big picture concepts, and now we're going to be looking at the nitty-gritty details of what it means to apprentice ourselves to Jesus in our ordinary day-to-day -day lives. Now, um, it is my conviction that all Christian teachings and practices are designed by God to lead us in the way of love. There are no exceptions to that. 
If you don't believe me, um, Jesus says in Matthew, uh, in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment in all of scripture? And he responds by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So all of scripture hangs on those two commandments. Love God with everything you've got and love people as you love yourself. So all of God's commands are designed to lead us in the way of love. Um, However, most of us know we live in a fallen and broken world. Um, We uh, are not very good at keeping God's commands. And um, when we speak about practically living as apprentices to Jesus, Um, My sense is that we need to guard ourselves against two uh, extremes that can come from the evil one. These are two distortions or perversions of Christian teaching. Um, One distortion that will come from the enemy is the lie of irrelevance, where he'll basically tell us that Jesus' teachings and Christian practices that have been lived out for over 2,000 years no longer apply. we're somehow exempt from them because we're in the 21st century and that just makes us superior and better than people who've gone before us. Um, If you want to put fancy language to that, C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery, which I quite like. (laughs) Um, So that's one distortion. Um, Irrelevance, kind of just throwing everything out because we're modern and better. Um, The other distortion is kind of the opposite extreme and that comes up pretty frequently as well in the church and that is the lie of legalism. Um, if the enemy can't get you to throw away a particular practice in the name of irrelevance, what he'll do is he'll lie and he'll tell you that that practice is how you're going to earn your salvation or earn God's approval or love. Um, So these are two opposite extremes that we need to guard ourselves against when it comes to this whole series and any practical aspect of being a Christian. Um, But the reason why I bring it up today is because I believe it's particularly true of what we're going to be talking about this morning um, and that is a very ancient Judeo-Christian practice. It's somewhere between five and 7,000 years old. Um, and that is the practice of tithing. Uh, now, we all come from different church backgrounds. I'm aware that some of us come from no church background at all, and others come from various different denominations. So we're all going to bring our own baggage to this. Um, but I just want to allow you just to think about where you might be on that kind of spectrum, on the irrelevance, or maybe more extreme than that might be taboo, um, or maybe further along on the legalism, or, um, you know, sometimes it can even be a, you know, a weapon of abuse. So um, we just need to remind ourselves that tithing is a, just a way of utilizing our resources so that we can live in the way of love. Okay. It's about utilizing our resources so that we can live in the way of love. So I'd love to give a two-hour lecture on this. Um, I was telling Anne and Tim I'd love to do a two-hour theology lecture on it, but I don't have time. Um, So um, if you want to go and look into the nitty-gritty details in the Old Testament, you can go for uh, yourself. Um, Some key passages would be Leviticus 27, Deuteronomy 14, and Deuteronomy 26. Um, But what I'm going to do is a very brief summary of of those passages just by way of introduction, and then we're going to get to our set text for this morning. So basically, the children of Israel are moving into the promised land where they are no longer going to be depending on manna from heaven for food, and instead they're going to be relying on the land for produce. 
And what God instructs them to do is to give 10% of their harvest towards a storehouse, which is overseen by the priestly tribe called the Levites. And then that storehouse is used as wages for the priests and also as food security for anyone who has fallen on hard times in their community. And the, the general idea behind this command called the tithe was that if everyone committed to giving 10% of their income or their livelihood to the house of God, there would be two distinct benefits. There would be an individual benefit for each person doing it, and then there would be a wider community benefit. So the individual benefit is quite obvious. It basically teaches each person to put their money where their mouth is and to really learn to love God with everything they've got. It's an act of surrender, and the principle is that we give him 10% of our income, and that basically teaches us to trust him to do more with the remaining 90% than what we would have been able to do with 100% in our own strength. So on an individual level, it's basically uh, teaching us to make God, room for, for God to move more freely in our lives. And that's probably the bit that people preach on the most um, whenever you hear about this. Um, and oh, I should also say, it reminds us that everything we have comes from uh, comes from God, as Tim mentioned earlier, so you can go look at Deuteronomy 26 in your own time. There's a beautiful liturgy there about um, gratitude, and the children of Israel are told to recite this liturgy as they're offering up their tithe, and it basically just reminds them that even though they worked very hard on the land to produce the crop that they harvested, God was the one that gave them that land in the first place. So those are the individual benefits. On a more communal level, which probably isn't spoken about as often, um, it was simply about fair wages and food security for the whole community. Um, so some people have a means for income through work, um, others do not. Um, back then, the widows and the orphans uh, did not have any access to their own land, and then of course neither did the priests because of their vocational calling to work in the service of God full time. So the idea was that everybody would get a fair wage and food security. So this is a very relational practice. Um, nowadays, we've got internet banking, very faceless giving, and our money is actual like money rather than food and produce. So it can feel very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Un well, basically unrelational. It can feel very um, like there's some separation between us and the people that we're with. But the heart behind it is for it to be deeply, deeply relational and community focused. But we all know, we know the story. The children of Israel did not follow God's commands. And um, you can go read Judges and the rest of the Old Testament and we'll see how uh, they basically rejected God and almost all of his teachings and commands. And they, they all basically just got thrown out the window. So this is where our set reading for this morning comes in. So uh, if you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles, please. We're going to be looking at the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3. Um, and just for context, so Malachi is a prophet sent by God. And this is a time period um, where the people of God have chosen to believe. They're on that sort of irrelevance end of the spectrum. Yeah, so they've basically believed that God's commands are no longer relevant for them in their lives, and big surprise, uh, that didn't work out very well for them. Um, okay, yeah, the set passage I got was to start with verse 6. I'm going to start reading from verse 1, just for context, because small Bible's always a good idea, um, and you can't get mad at me because we're in church, so it's fine. <laughs> 
All right, so Malachi chapter 3, I'm going to start from verse 1, and you can pick up with me on the screens at verse 6. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will, be, I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, and against those who defraud laborers of their wages, and who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, this is important, how are we to return? And God says, will a mere mortal rob me? Sorry, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you will ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord God Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a passage. Um, this is very rich. This is very deep. Um, I would also like to say this passage has been abused a lot, um, especially in the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which I was raised in, and I've had to have some strongholds of legalism broken off over me on this, and this passage used to be very triggering for me, but um, yeah, and as I said before, I'd love to turn this into a two-hour theology lecture, but I haven't got the time, so please don't come up to me afterwards and tell me what I missed. Trust me, I know. Um, <laughs> I know. Um, but in order to condense this and cut it down, what I did was I spent quite a lot of time in prayer, and I basically asked God just to give me a, a, a word for us as a family this morning, like a pastoral word, um, specifically for St. Barnabas. So if you're new or visiting, just receive this with grace. This is very much an in-house family talk today. Um, and yeah, it took a really long time before I felt like God was actually giving me anything specific for us, but last night he finally did. Just a lick of time, thanks Lord. Um, but uh, yeah, this is it, here we go. So what I sensed God saying was this. There were over 600 commands in the Torah. There were 613, to be precise. I googled it. And the Israelites were ignoring all of them. But when God says, I want you to return to me, and the Israelites effectively just said, well, how? We don't know how. 
He replies by saying, begin with the tithe. Begin with the tithe. And my sense for us this morning was that there are going to be a number of people in this church who feel like you feel inadequate in your faith and you know in your heart of hearts that you know you come to church but you you just feel like you're paying lip service to God and my sense was that there are people here this morning who who believe in Jesus and you believe you're a good person but when you search yourself deep down you feel like there's something missing in your spiritual life and you look at other people in church and you're like I do not understand like why you live like you live and I don't understand why you get excited when people talk about costly discipleship um, for you that's just daunting this past series gone by has been overwhelming um, and my sense this morning is that there's a lot of us who really want a deeper and richer spiritual life, but that whole costly discipleship thing we've been talking about is just overwhelming, and you just kind of feel like, I don't know where to start. So the word I have for you this morning is this. Start with your treasure. Start with your treasure. If you honestly really crave a deeper and richer spiritual life, start by offering to God that which is most precious to you. For some of us, this is going to mean that we're going to start beginning tithing, maybe for the first time as a practice. So that's 10% of your income on payday. Um, for others, um, it might be stretching ourselves further. And for others, God might want to do some individual business with you and it'll have absolutely nothing to do with money and, and that's fine. If the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about something, just go with that. Um, but for a lot of us, this is going to be about actual money, pounds and pence. Now, I have nothing to gain from saying that. I'm not a member of staff here. I'm not a trustee. I'm not intending to be clergy anytime soon. Um, Anne's been trying to get me on that bandwagon, but I've been resisting. Um, but um, I have absolutely nothing to gain from saying this and everything to lose because a bunch of you are going to be mad at me and bite my head off after this. So um, that's fine. Um, but I, I believe that this is a word from God for us as a church in this season. And I actually volunteered to give this talk. It wasn't given to me. I went up to Anne like more than six months ago and said I felt like God's said that he'd like me to preach on tithing. And she was like, oh, okay. Thanks very much. Um, so this is what I have to say, is that if, if you really want to take the plunge and move away from shallow and superficial spirituality and move towards having a deeper walk with Jesus... And if there is an ache for your soul for church to be less like a social club and more like a family, and if you want God to be more than just some kind of intellectual idea in your life, start with your treasure. Offer him up that which is most precious to you. And for a lot of us, that's going to be finances. Very obvious question to that. Why? <laughs> Um, from a total of 613 commands, why on earth would God say to the children of Israel to start with their finances with it before anything else? And why do I believe that that's what he's saying to us this morning? Um, this is no longer word from God, this is just my 
thoughts on this. I believe that this is because the tithe is a very powerful means to teach us to love. Um, it teaches us to love God by trusting him with our treasure. And it also teaches us to love others by ensuring that those who have been vocationally called by God to basically serve us and disciple us and our children and our young people, ensuring that they get a fair wage. And that's really, really important to God. It's a relational practice. Now, I have to say, this is not a salvation issue. It's about, as a Christian, coming to a deeper place of surrender to God with all aspects of your life. So if you are a Christian and you never tithe in all of your life, you and I are still going to hang out in the new creation together. We're going to bask in the glory of the Lord. We're going to drink some incredible wine and we're going to eat gluten. <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> um, so since we're in the new covenant, um, I believe that, uh, I, sorry, I know we've got like Old Testament, like PhDs here. So like feel free to correct me on this if I'm wrong, but this is my working theory on this. Um, we're in the New Covenant, so I do believe that the curse that Malachi speaks of in verse 9 doesn't apply to us because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. Um, Romans is very, the book of Romans in the New Testament is very clear that the curse of the law is broken. So that's basically my point of departure from the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Our salvation is in no way tied to our financial giving. However... In verse 6 of this passage, God says, I do not change. So my working theory on this right now, which might change, feel free to correct me if you know more than me on this, um, is that our standing before God has changed since this passage was written because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. So we're not under the curse of the law, we're saved by grace and not by works. Hallelujah. However, God himself doesn't change and his promises remain. So this is why even in the new covenant, we can still live under this blessing if we want to. Test me in this, God says. Make room for me to move and see what I can do. Um, many of you know I have spent the last couple of years working in the prison ministry space, varying degrees of success mostly not success. Um, but I've been living off uh, monthly donations from Christians who support me, um, yeah, who basically just donate towards my income so that I can live and do what I do. And um, for tax purposes, I'm self-employed, and so I literally live off just donations. And very recently managed to get it all the way up to 70% of the minimum wage. So, and half of that goes towards renting a box room. So I'm, this is coming from my perspective. I'm, I don't have money, basically. I don't have a lot of money. Um, but uh, the reason why I am able to survive on such a small amount is occasionally this gets topped up by one-off giving. And I worked out an average. It's once every three and a half months on average, somebody will feel compelled by God to give. This is usually above and beyond their giving to the church. Um, a one-off gift is usually quite generous. And that usually helps me to do things like, you know, get through Christmas and go to conferences and things, um, or just have savings, because that's also important. Um, so I, I, I live off monthly donations, which is, it's enough for rent and food and basically nothing else, and then I get these top-ups every few months, um, which get me through the year, and that's very much a living by faith season. I'm living, you know, the manna, <laughs> children of Israel in the desert at the moment. That's, that's just my season. Um, 
I've been pretty diligent in tithing my monthly income. Um, I think I shared with some of you a few months ago about God convicting me on that. Um, and I've got a regular habit of tithing on my monthly support. Um, but when I was preparing this uh, last month, I felt like God was convicting me that I haven't always been diligent with tithing the one-off gifts that I get. Um, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And most of the time, it's just because I'm disorganized and just sort of don't get around to it. And then when a little thought pops into my head about it, I kind of just go, oh, well, I'm in the new covenant. It's fine. I'm saved by grace and not by works, which is true. Um, but I started reading this passage a little over a month ago in preparation for this sermon, and I just really couldn't get past that verse where God says, test me in this. And I just had this really annoying, sinking feeling in my heart that I'm sure not, most of you know that feeling when God's convicting you. So long story short, I got a tiny little gift came through. It was around 30 pounds. In fact, I think with the gift aid, it came to like 31 pounds 60. Um, and um, I decided to test it by adding uh, three pounds and 16 pence uh, to my monthly <laughs> tithe to St. Barnabas. Um, that was in January. Um, didn't really think anything of it. I just thought it was more of an integrity thing. You know, if I'm going to be preaching on this, I better actually do it. Um, and just to recap, I usually get gifts between that amount and sometimes a lot larger, um, once every three and a half months on average. Guess how many gifts I've received, one-off gifts I've received this month? 25. With over a total of 2,000 pounds. So, I don't know what to tell you guys <laughs> on that. You can claim we're under grace, we're in the new covenant, it's not a formula, there's no magical formula to unlock prosperity from the universe, like that, that's, that's, that's new age, that's a cult. But God is God and he keeps his promises. So that's my story on that and I want to encourage you with it. Um, I'm really living on the edge right now, so if I can do it, I know it's a cost of living crisis, I know we've got a huge range of we've got you know there's the just socioeconomic spectrum we've got people very 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 wealthy in this church we've got people on benefits like I get it um, but I just want to encourage you wherever you are test God with this allow him to stretch your faith offer up your treasure see what he can do with a piddly 10% and then try and compare that with what you, have, can, you could have done with your 100% in your own strength. I've definitely run out of time. So I'm going to close this morning with um, Paul's words to the church in Corinth. And then I'm going to hand back to Tim. So I'm going to read just 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that you, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, may abound in every good work. Amen.